0: Now, I first must tell you, I'm not going to read all 70, 67 verses. These are lists of names. We're looking at groups of them. But for time purposes and for me not to mess up their names trying to speak this in Hebrew, uh, I'm going to leave, let you uh, do the reading on your own. But let me make one point. Just because I'm not reading all of it does not diminish the fact that it's in the text for a reason. So, uh, as a way of beginning, it is tough to find anything more difficult than to read through a book of names or a list of names. And that's exactly what we see here this morning. Now, I'm going to date myself. How many of you remember the phone book that you used to get delivered to you? You may still get the phone book. And when you moved out on your own and you got your first apartment, what's one of the first things you probably did? Look in the phone book, look up your name. Ah, i am in the phone book, I've got my own name, woo-hoo. You got all excited about that. Of course, none of you did because you're all sitting there looking at me like that. Uh, interesting enough, there was a, a research done not too long ago, and an article published on February the 8th of 2018, two years ago, tells us that more than half of the United States have replaced online. With phone books. So now instead of looking at the phone book, people go online and they look. That's the reason it's very important for us to have a presence in cyberspace. But remember what it was like to find your name in a list of names. And perhaps if you've gone to school or college, I remember they used to post our grades in seminary on the wall and you'd find your name to see what your score was. That's kind of intimidating because if you did real low, people would look you know. Uh, perhaps finding your name if you went out for a sport and they had like three cuts, or one cut, and you went and saw if you made the team. So this idea of finding your name on a list brings some security to it. And even though you will not find your list, your name on this list this morning, it does not make it any less important. And a matter of fact, you could say it's even more important because it is in Scripture. Remember, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, unlike a lot of lists of names we find in Scripture, this one is a little different because it's not genealogy. It's more like a census, but not really because a census by its very nature will tell you the total population of a country. But this doesn't do that. It's more like a manifest. Now, manifest is... People getting on a ship or a plane. Gives us a list of all the passengers, all the cargo, and where they are going to. And that's basically what this list tells us. Who's going and what they're taking and where what their destination is. Now, as we look at this, remember that God's desire is for all the people to respond. He wants all his people to go back to Jerusalem, but only a remnant responds. And in that remnant... God provides all the people he needs to accomplish his work. So my prayer this morning is all of us to respond like this remnant did. No matter what category we may find ourselves in, we need to respond to him. Because it doesn't really matter what area we're expertise in, our gifts are. What really matters is our response to him in obedience. So, as a church, as we continue to move forward, as we walk through this list, keep that in the back of your mind about obedience. The gifts that God's given you and to respond in obedience because each of you have a very important part to play in building God's kingdom here in Forestburg through this local body, Forestburg Baptist Church. So as you look at your text, a lot of verses, it tells us that these are the people of the provinces who came up out of captivity from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now that province is referring back to where they were living in Judah prior to the exile. And you can see that in the text it tells us that they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his city. Now why is this? This is going to happen time and time again in this passage as well in the book. What's being emphasized is is the continuity of God's people. In other words, here they are on this side of the exile. They are still connected to the people before the exile. So God is showing him, look, you're still my people. You're still entitled to the covenants and promises that I promised way back when. A continuity, if you will. And that's being reemphasized here. And to each individual and family, they are important and significant to God. Therefore, this group of returnees is not, not simply lumped together. Think about this. Verses 3 through 67 list otherwise unknown individuals and families. It wasn't a very large group as compared to nation, but it was vital to God's plan. Think about this. Before even getting to rebuilding the temple, what took place, we find these names. These are the heroes of this drama because they were obedient to God's call. And through them, God's purposes in Israel continued. Now we see the list of the leaders. Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, and others. Leadership is not for the faint of heart. Think about what these guys had to do. If you look at the end of the passage, you will see where 42,000 people responded to this. So they had to get 42,000, over 42,000 people to follow them. Leading them from a place, the people from a place that had been their home for as long as they can remember. Many probably grew up there, raised their kids there. They had built their lives there. They were comfortable there. Now, I haven't been in Forestburg very long. And now I live in Bellevue, but I haven't been in this community or involved in this community for very long. Coming up on my fourth year, I'm on my fourth year of being pastor here. But how long have you been in the Forestburg area? How comfortable would you feel if your family had been here for the last 70 years? The last 100 years, the last 150 years. See, there's being comfortable, because when you say my family's been here for generations, that means a sense of comfort and security, doesn't it? That's what's going on here. So they're trying to lead these people out. they made a alive. They're comfortable. They feel secure here. And so these leaders are going to lead them out of all that. Now, move the clock back. From this event that we see in Scripture, go back 900 years. Something similar to this happened, but not really have Moses leading the people out of Israel. But back then, Israel was ready to get out of captivity, right? They were slaves. They were ready to go. This case, maybe not the same way. I mean, there there were a lot of people that were comfortable there, had made their lives there. They weren't comfortable. And in Israel, we see this, that in the Zerubbabel's days, he's leading the people out. You have to remember that the Persians allowed them to own land. In fact, the Persians wanted all their conquered people kind of to blend in their society. And this is the environment that God called these men to lead these people out of. To lead comfortable people away from their comfort. Into a land that was fraught with discouragement, opposition, frustration, and most of all, work. A lot of work. Now, I'll tell you, when you answer to God's call on your life with obedience, The very first thing he's going to do, I guarantee it, he's going to push you out of your comfort zone. He's going to put you and he's going to stretch you. And you're thinking, Tim, I can never do this. God, I can never do this. You're right. By yourself, you can't. But with God giving you what you need through his Holy Spirit, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So he's going to pull you out of your comfort zone and put yourself back in this time. These people going back to Jerusalem, probably, maybe you want to go back, but you're thinking, man, I got a good thing going on here. It's kind of like when someone's called the mission field. Yeah, I want to see people come to Christ, and I, I love preaching and teaching God, but you know what I want to do right here in Forestburg, the United States? I, I'm not ready to go to Cuba. I'm not ready to go to Spain. I, I don't it's, Hey, I, I know the culture. I know I love the food. Why would I want to do that? But God's always pushing you. Out of your comfort zone. And one more illustration on that: you may find this hard to believe, but when I first answered the ministry, if there were three people in the room, I sat in the corner, didn't say a word. Find that hard to believe? It's okay if you say amen or yes. But God had me first take over the announcements, and slowly after time, getting comfortable in talking to a group of people. I still get nervous because I'm handling the word of God. I want to handle it accurately. And I want to represent the truth as best as I possibly can. But I'm not, you know, if there's more three of you, I wouldn't say a word. I say that to encourage you because right now I know God is putting something on your heart. Perhaps it's been there for a long, long time. You just speak, no, no, no. God's waiting to see. you know what, I'll do this. I don't know how it's going to come out, God, but I trust you. And look, with these leaders... If you go back to Moses and Aaron, God didn't give them the Elkating signs or wonders like he did for Aaron and Moses, did he? He didn't meet them on a mountain because just like us today, they had his word. Think about being a leader in all this and leading these people out. That's a huge task. Over 42,000 people. We go on again in verses uh, 2 into verse 20, the number of men of the people of Israel. These are family names. Now, the term Israel is used to describe typically the entire nation, descendants from the tribe 12s, descended from the patriarchs, or later the northern kingdom, which fell to the Assyrians. Used here as another indication that this group is viewed as the heir to biblical covenants, the recipients of God's continued faithfulness to his people. So even they're stepping out of their comfort zone, Ezra wants them to know that God keeps his promises to his covenant people. You still have connections back. God hasn't forgot about you. He is keeping his promise he made over 70 years ago to bring you out. Now he's doing that. He's asking you to trust him again, that he's going to take you there and give you what you need to rebuild the temple and establish Jerusalem again. Perhaps some of you need to remember the covenant promise you have. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He has you securely in his hands. Nothing can snatch you out. What's the goal of all this? It's heaven. This is not our home. We're just passing through. Heaven is our destination. And it's so easy to look around us and get tangled up by so many other things rather than keeping our eyes on the goal. And you see this repeated in this text time and time again, reminding the people that God is still with them and still working through them. Then we have the geographical names of verses 21 through 35. There's no clear indication why some are mentioned by family names or some by geographical names. It appears to represent places those families lived before the exile rather than the towns they're inhabiting now. And if you notice in the verses, you'll see some begin with the men of and some begin with the sons of. Those terms appear to be synonymous. And many of those places can be identified. Once again, we're showing the continuity of God's covenant people being emphasized. By showing God's providence in reestablishing the covenant community. And by doing that, identification of the families and their place of origin. That's important for self-identity of the people. To recognize their roots. The reassurance that they're a continuation of God's promises. His redemptive plan that God would not forsake them. Think about the heritage that we've inherited. As believers, we stand on the shoulders of giants who blazed the trail before us that you're here today because someone told you about Jesus. They told you about Jesus because somewhere down the line, some of them told them about Jesus. I mean, someone some had to tell us. So we heard that, people being faithful to the call. Look look at our country. You think this freedom just sprouted up all by itself? Look at the people who sacrificed so much to give us this land that, We are free to come and gather together and worship God. We need to remember our our roots and where we come from. See, in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you've been to understand where you're at, to understand where you're going. As we look back at our spiritual heritage, all the faithful men and women who are faithful go out and tell us about the gospel and to sacrifice uh, the very fact that we have Bibles translated into English, which every time I study, I'm so thankful for that, that we can pick it up and read it for ourselves. As a side note, some of you would say, I haven't been to seminary, I don't know Greek or Hebrew, that doesn't matter. You know what the greatest gift you have as a believer? The greatest gift? One of the greatest gifts? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you that illuminates Scripture, give you understanding. If you don't understand something, ask God to show it. And you have so many study helps now to help you understand and to read it. And through this community we see here in our text and their descendants, we have the scriptures. Through this people, Israel, Jesus Christ came into the world. Even though they were practically unknown at this place and in this time of history, look what happens through these people. Now, as Christians, sometimes we have that minority complex. We think that what differences we really make, what significance do we really have in present history? Dearly beloved, the New Testament makes it clear that the church, made up of true believers, is the chief means God uses to fulfill His work and His purpose. We need to understand our heritage from generations who preceded us and to understand that the decisions we make and the influences it has for the future. We saw a lot of kids up here, right? That's the greatest resource we have. And God's allowing those kids to come in so we can pass on to them what we have learned. That's our responsibility. And to understand that everything that we do as a church does have influence on what happens in the future. We can make choices that will influence and impact eternity. Now, God's going to do what God's going to do. He doesn't need you and I. He allows us the blessing to come alongside of him and fulfill his purpose allowing him to work through us. Do you want to see things change? Do you want to see a, a, a Forestburg go off in, in, in a direction that no one ever saw coming? Then I must be, and you must be completely and totally obedient to God. You want to see revival sweep this? How many people would love to see revival sweep the United States of America? Say amen. Okay. Amen, right? Instead of looking out somewhere for the next big speaker, the next big movement, Perhaps God is telling us right now, and I know he is, revival begins with you. Could you imagine a revival that would sweep this country? First of all, starting here, sweeping Montague County, over into Jack and Wise County, all across down the Red River, even jumping the Red River into Oklahoma, then moving further south into the metroplex, all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Finally, it makes the big news. Everybody's coming. What's going on? Ladies and gentlemen, you might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, you can start right here, right now. We just got to believe God that keeps his covenant promises. I was challenged this past week when I went to the evangelism conference. And Ronnie Floyd, Dr. Ronnie Floyd, told us Pastor, is your vision big enough? Is your vision big enough? Because we want, as Southern Baptists, to reach every person for Christ. And behind that is the one. Everyone in this room knows somebody who needs Christ. What are you going to do to reach that one? Think about it. If everyone here reached one person for Christ, we double. If that person then went out and reached one, then we double again. It's just that one person. Once you reach that person, then you find another one. Sometimes I think, and I'm guilty of it, as he forth this vision for us and challenging us as pastors, I thought, you know what, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, it's all fine and good. It happened back then or happened over there, but it can never really happen where I'm at. Well, yes, it can. Because God keeps his promises. Which is kind of interesting because the next list of names that we have are the priests in verse 36 through 39. Now originally King David had grouped the priests into 24 family groups. But look in the text. There's only four that are represented. The Levites in verse 40. Now the law allowed for more Levites than priests. So if you had ten priests, you could have up to a hundred Levites. But yet, with the shrinking number of priests, we even have even more of a shrinking number of Levites. My point being, when you look at that, go back over that and look at it later this week. It saddens me and... Also interests me if the people that had the official ministry office, if you will, the priests and the Levites, they were the least likely eager to go. I wonder why that is. Now keep that in mind. The text doesn't tell us, but look what we find next. We have the singers in verse 41, the gatekeepers in verse 42. The choir and praise group are going along with the ushers. And we look in First Chronicles chapter 9, verses 17 through 29. The description of the gatekeepers is somewhat similar to what we have ushers today. They would be outside making sure, uh, keeping security, letting people in, so on and so forth. Now we come to the temple servant, servant, servants in verse 43 through 54. That word translated temple servants literally means the dedicated ones. And they were given to assist the Levites to perform temple duties. And then in verse 55 through 58, we see the descendants of Solomon's servants. Now, here's the interesting thing about both those groups. They were made up of conquered people. Israel went out and conquered nations. These were conquered people who were later circumcised and served, helping the Levites and the priests in various capacities. Now, think about this. Generations now could have gone on. And they might say, you know what, we were conquered, my my ancestors were conquered by these people, I'm not going. I'm going to stay here. But yet they volunteered to go, even though they didn't have to. And these were descendants of conquered people. But yet they went. But yet you look at the Levites and the priests, who were specifically called for God for a specific ministry duty, seems like Lala didn't wanted to go. Now, I can't speak from silence, because I do not know all the reasons for it, but it just... Noting that in this list as you go through, they just wanted to go back. Perhaps they just wanted to be obedient. In the verses 59 through 63, we see not able to give evidence of their father's households. In other words, they, they didn't know where they came from. They lost their records. They, could, they couldn't prove who their genealogy was. They couldn't prove where their land was. Because of the exile, they lost a lot of that. And the context indicates the names that are here as origins are Babylonian towns from which they came. They had lost their family records from back in Jerusalem. They didn't know. So instead of taking a chance of getting someone who was not pure to serve as a priest or a Levite, they say, you know what, we'll allow you to go. You just can't serve in that capacity as a priest because we can't prove that you're in line with the biblical priesthood. That's what that's talking about in the text. So once again... Spiritual purity is being stressed. However, later in the New Testament, guess what? Jesus says, don't be so concerned of who your ancestor was. It's more issue of the heart. See, I'm, I'm not in the line of the biblical priesthood, but I, there's only one high priest. There's only one mediator between God and man now, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Now, as, as a pastor, as a minister, you want to come to me for counseling, you want me to pray with you or pray for you, I can but, dearly beloved, you have direct access to God yourself. That's through Jesus Christ. You don't have to come to, come to me. You can get down on your knees and cry out to God through Christ. Now, how many of you would like to talk to President Trump? Or, tell you what, whoever the president, how would you like to go to the White House and sit in the Oval Office and have ten minutes, whoever the president is, and he would have your undivided attention, just sitting down, looking you in the eye, no one coming in the office, telling me anything. I mean, just ten minutes of uninterrupted audience with a president of the United States. What would you just do that? None of you would? Some of you would? You can really tell him the, the issues on your And you have uninterrupted audience. Dearly beloved, you have the same access to God the Father through Christ. He longs to speak to you. He longs to listen to you. He longs to spend time with you. So much so, he sent his son to have that relationship The very one who allowed Donald J. Trump to be the president of the United States because he is sovereign and because of his providence is the very one who's calling out to you now. Please come to me. Let's talk. Come to me. I love you. And we've heard that so many times. And I've said this before. God loves you. But have you ever thought, hey, God likes you? He likes the way you do stuff. He's created you that way. And here's the other thing, brothers and sisters. We are called to love others, even our enemies. It says we have to love them. doesn't mean we have to like them. We love them. doesn't mean we have to improve their lifestyle, but we need to love them. And that's one big lie I see happening in our society. Just because I disagree with somebody over here means by definition and default... I want something bad to happen to him. No, I can disagree and still care about that person and love them as Jesus does. That's one of the big lies we see coming out from mass media today. And it mentions here the Urim and the Thummim in our text. And that's how they would cast lots to know the will of God. So they would go to the priest and basically the priest would... Maybe small pebbles or something like that. They pray and they throw the lots to see how, they, how God would answer that prayer. But we don't do that anymore. Why? Because the priest of all believers. If you're a Christian today, if you're not a Christian, you can call out to God for forgiveness. And he'll, he'll forgive you. Did you hear what I just said? If you need forgiveness from God, all you got to do is call out to him, repent of your sins, and he'll forgive you. That's what Scripture says. You have that access to God right here. Even if you are a believer, you feel like you messed up too much. No, you haven't. God is always quick to forgive you. And now we get down to the whole assembly in our text, 42,360, verses 64 through 67. If you add up all the numbers you find in that list, it will add up to 29,818. But because this is a composite list, perhaps some families were simply omitted. And If you look at the quantity of the servants, the singers, the horses, and the donkeys, and the maid servants, and the men servants, there are some wealthy people among them. But we have more donkeys listed than the horses, which tells me the majority of the people were not very rich. There were a few, but not many, because horses were expensive back then. Now I just read through sixty-seven verses of scripture like that. Please go back and reread this list. But something I, I have to hit on again is this is telling us we must be obedient and that everyone is significant to God. It's the reason he makes these lists. And God is all-powerful, but he chooses to accomplish his work through people. He wants us all to be a part of his work, but history has shown us only a remnant usually answers the call. We have a thing going around in churches today. 20% 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Have you ever heard that before? So it's even true today that God desires us all to be a part of doing his work, but yet it seems like only a remnant will answer that. But in that remnant, God always provides the people that it takes to accomplish his work. He's called us to do different tasks. We do have different responsibilities. But we all have a part to play. God used this remnant of all these people we see listed. I mean, each number represents a life. Represents someone who is important to God, who answered the call. Don't ever forget that. He used that remnant to build his temple. Likewise, he can accomplish his will here in Forestburg. How will he do that? The same way he did it then. Through our willing obedience, whoever you are, whatever God's called you to do, be obedient to him. See, the outcome is not really the issue. The issue is our obedience. And I see this in this text over and over and over again. You're still my people. I still keep my promises. Go back to Jerusalem. Rebuild the temple. Just like I prophesized. I'd bring you out. Now I'm bringing you out. I've been with you all this time. I brought you out of Israel. You rebelled. I'm still with you. I'm still working with you. I'm long-suffering. I'm patient. Come on. Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering and he's patient? What a loving God that we serve. And as you read the Old Testament, time and time again they mess up and God he exercises discipline, but he's always quick to say this. I'm going to do this. But if you only repent. See, we all have a condition in this room. Everybody, I don't care who you are. We are sinners. It means to miss the mark what that word sin means. It means that we have disobeyed God's law. How many in this room have ever told a lie? One of the Ten Commandments, don't bear False witness. That's one. You ever taken God's holy name, the very God that created you and sustains you even now? Took his holy, precious name and used it as a filthy cuss word. You ever done that when you got mad or upset? You ever done that? I've done that. Remember, you just meant it to me, you're a liar. That's two. You ever could have been a murder? Well, Tim, I've never taken anyone's life. But Jesus says. If you look at hatred in your heart towards another, you've committed you've committed murder in your heart already. You ever done that? Been mad at people? That's three. We can go keep going down the list. So we're all sinners, and there is only one solution. It's not about how many times you come to church. It's not how much you give. It's not all the stuff that you do. It's about who you know and who your Lord and Savior is. That's Jesus Christ. The reason I do what I do is not a way to earn my way in. it's because of that relationship that I do what I do. One solution, Jesus Christ. He took our sin and our shame on that cross. It requires you to repent. It's not just saying I'm sorry. But it's a change of mind. It means I'm traveling this way, and now I'm going to turn and deliberately and constantly I'm going to go this way. I'm going to turn towards God. I'm going to embrace the things of God rather than running away. That means sometimes we have to change the way we live. Sometimes we have to change out who we who we hang out with, because if you have bad habits, taking bad habits that's good. But if you never replace them with something good, guess what happens? Those bad habits come right back. I know because I speak from experience. So replace those good habits in there. And one good habit to have is a reading of devotional in a morning, afternoon, evening, whatever works for you. Get that word of God in you. Remind you who you are. Because when you go out to this door after this meal, you're going to start hearing the voice of the enemy. He's going to tell you you're not worth anything. You can't do anything. You're stuck in this. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. Listen to the voice of truth. And I'm going to conclude with this. In a similar situation, you're kind of like those people were back we just read about. Perhaps you've been out in exile for a while. You've been wandering in the desert. Or you're still God. You're still saved. And God still loves you. But you've been wandering out and God's calling you back. It may mean that you're going to have to change some things. It may mean that you have to start some new Habits in your life and change some things around, but God's calling out to you. And now you got to make a choice. This is true for everybody in this room. Are we going to stay comfortable where we're at? This is great. Come on Sunday, sing a few songs, hear a message, and we go back home and live out our week. This is great. Are you going to say, you know what? God's calling me something more. I feel it on my heart. Are you going to be the one saying, you know what? Lead me where you want me to go. Even if it's out of my comfort zone, Lord, I will go. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I would invite you to do that today. It's called the invitation. You come forward. And don't worry about coming forward. All of us on the same level field, you're not going to find a more group of passionate, caring people than right here and right now. Perhaps you don't know. Wouldn't it be better to take two or three minutes out of this time to deal with God and spend all of eternity going, I wish I should have, I could have? What is it that God's calling you to do? Because I'm convinced he's calling us to two things this morning, either into a relationship with him or going deeper in our relationship with him by total, complete obedience, saying, God, here it all is. Trust me, I know it's not easy. But one thing I've learned there is freedom in letting go. Because God can take care of all this creation. You go out, you you see the sun shining, you see the clouds. Tonight, you'll see the stars. The very one who calls them stars out by name. Don't you think He can take care of my problems and your problems quite easily? Our problem is we want it certain ways now. But God has your best interest at heart. He created you. He loves you. He sent his son down to redeem you that you may have a relationship with him now and in this life and in the life to come all eternity in heaven. And as you walk this earth, he's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you fellow believers come alongside of you, encourage you and pray with you as you go. What else do you want him to do? We serve a very loving, merciful God. And my prayer is, as I said, as I started, that we'll be like that remnant and being obedient to his call. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read back into the ancient times when you worked with your people so patiently and you continue to work to establish your purposes and your will and father you still doing that today among us father may we let go whatever's well, keeping us back that you break every chain knock down any walls that need to be broken or broken down but father for your glory for your name's sake, draw men and women unto yourselves and may we respond in complete obedience to you You've promised, Father, that your word would not return to your void without accomplishing what you have to do. And I stand and I claim that promise today. Father, may your will be done. Do whatever is necessary. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.